The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on the show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. Welcome to Game on Glio, the podcast providing hope, inspiration, education, and real conversations around the difficult journeys of grief and loss and being diagnosed with brain cancer, such as glioblastoma. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also, share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio or on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast. Or you can visit our website, thegameongleopodcast.com for our blog, insights, and guest snapshots. Season two of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT Medical Technologies and Gamma Tile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. This episode is brought to you by Mimivax LLC, developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at mimivax.com. Every living being is an engine geared toward the wheelwork of the universe. Though seemingly affected only by its immediate surrounding, the sphere of external influence extends to an infinite distance. Nikola Tesla. I mention Albert Einstein and Nikola Tesla, Mark Twain, and other profound thinkers whether they're scientists or engineers, a lot of their thinking, their philosophy about life, about their journey in life, about the extraordinary lengths that they had to go through in order to accomplish their dreams, their hopes, their goals, it speaks to me. Nikola Tesla's quote about being a living, breathing being in a universe that is engineered geared toward this cog that's been in motion and been in play for hundreds of thousands of years, that we're all part of this existence, and that while we may only be affected by our immediate surroundings, it all ties together. It's all connected. And that speaks to me. There have been many, many times where I have sat and thought and pondered why I am on the path that I'm on, why the course of events that have played out in my life over the last couple of years have transpired. And then I think about the conversation that we have with our guest today, Dr. Anne-Marie Carbonell from Oncosynergy. She is one of the co-founders of Oncosynergy. And we have a very similar discussion about signs, tethering, about things that have taken place that have shaped her life and have actually brought her to the moment that she is in right now. If courses of events in her life did not transpire the way they did, she wouldn't be where she is today. I feel that that is the journey that we are all on. No matter what path we are currently taking, or what obstacles or traumas or hurdles lay in the near future or are in our path right now. Events have transpired through the course of our entire lives to bring us to a moment and a time and place that tether us to something that needs to happen, a grander network of design. It's spider webs out And in doing so, it actually ties us all together. And as hard as it is for me to ponder this and think about where I am right now and where my life was three, three and a half years ago, everything that has happened has brought me to the place that I am at right now. Meeting all of the people that I've met, speaking to so many of you 
And I wouldn't have met all of you. I wouldn't have been inspired. I wouldn't have found the strength had it not been for the course of events that have gotten me to where I am. And that does bring me a small bit of comfort, peace. It doesn't fix everything, and it doesn't make what's happened in my life over the last couple of years any easier to cope with on a daily basis. But I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing now. I wouldn't have found a voice to do what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for those events. And that makes me grateful because we are succeeding. We may not know it yet, but we are succeeding. We are inching ever closer to finding better treatments, better options, better alternatives to treating rare cancers like brain cancer. It's this journey, this path that ties us together, that binds us. It teaches us and it's no different with the grieving process. The grieving process has taught me, it's teaching me. And when I look at where I am compared to where I was just two years ago, I still have a long way to go in my healing process. But I see how far I've come. And the fortitude that it's taken to get up every day and carve a path forward within this framework, this wheel work of the universe. Its influence extends to an infinite distance. It's a powerful, hopeful influence and it never stops. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a warm, cozy feeling inside no matter how hard things may seem. And that is the topic that we're discussing here today. This fabric, this framework of the journey that we are all on and where we find ourselves in this journey. It's an interesting discussion and a topic that I have been longing to get into. Anko Synergy was founded in 2011 and has come a long way since then but it has been a long journey and a bit of an uphill battle and our guest today Dr. Anne-Marie Carbonell shares with us that journey and how she got to where she is and where she sees herself going and the exciting new promises and clinical trials that are coming out of Oncosynergy today we speak to her next after a brief word from our sponsor Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tau therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, your neurosurgeon implants tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go on for weeks, you get a head start against tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. Gamma Tile Therapy is for operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas. It is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gamma Tile Therapy is FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gamma Tile Therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at GammaTile.com. Welcome back. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. I am now joined by Dr. Anne-Marie Carbonell, co-founder, CEO, and chief medical officer at Oncosynergy, a clinical stage immuno-oncology company. Her focus includes designing the first in-human phase one clinical trial with the development of Oncosynergy's monoclonal antibody that is currently being used in a clinical trial. Prior to this, she led FDA approvals for two intracranial stents for the treatment of brain aneurysms and received her medical degree from St. Louis University, graduating first in her class. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful opportunity. This is a very exciting episode because you guys are not only on the precipice of doing some really amazing research and work, but you have a clinical trial that you guys are currently recruiting for. So tell our listeners a little bit about how Oncosynergy was founded. What precipitated starting this company? At its core, Oncosynergy was founded by physicians, myself included, who were just extremely frustrated with the current tools that we had available to treat cancer patients. As life goes, the timing was just perfect in our careers. Um, We were just the right amount of passionate slash crazy and had the (laughs) right experience to really build a better treatment for patients. And, And that's been our mission ever since, is to develop a new cancer therapy for patients who are suffering from the worst cancers. And one of those cancers includes brain cancer, correct? That's right. We're going after glioblastoma first. Which is a huge undertaking, um, an impressive one at that. But I can sense the urgency in your voice. And and like a few other physicians and neuro-oncologists that I've spoken to, there really does seem to be this urgency right now with finding better ways to treat or potentially cure glioblastoma. So I can I can sense that urgency in your voice um, and the passion that you guys seem to have with wanting to figure this out. Definitely. And, you know, neurosurgery and glioblastoma is sort of at the core of our company's origin story. Both myself and my co-founder trained in neurosurgery. And I actually wanted to be a neurosurgeon since I was 17 years old. And when I tell you I was on a mission, (laughs) I was as a 17-year-old. And that sounds kind of funny now to me, but um, I was. I was serious as a heart attack and dedicated the next 20 years, um, you know, to exactly that. And that experience in neurosurgery really was amazing and eye-opening in terms of learning about the patient population we're here to talk about today and glioblastoma. Mm -hmm. I remember having a patient who was the exact same age as me. And I was young. I was 27 years old when I was at the Cleveland Clinic. And and this happened. I remember meeting a young woman who was also 27 and who passed away. And Mm -hmm. she left a lasting impact on my life. And so, yes, we have that really, really strong, strong passion from that background to bring change to this disease population. And we don't just have passion. um, We have a really unique, I think, understanding of how different glioblastoma is than other cancers. And I think it's really, really important to highlight that because that's, I think, one of our strengths at Oncosynergy is the willingness to say glioblastoma is different than other cancers. Here is how it's different than other cancers and why it's a challenge. And let's um, address those things head on in how we design our clinical trials. So that I'll stop there because you're going to get me going. Uh, (laughs) No, please keep going. (laughs) We have a lot of of passion um, around this. And it's interesting because our therapeutic is not, um, it's not a drug that we designed in mind only for glioblastoma. Mm-hmm. When we developed our therapeutic, our drug candidate, it, we learned through our collaborators and through the research community that it actually has ap- applicability to a lot of different cancers. I think it's really fascinating. I mean, as you're talking about all of this, for as long as I've known you, I, I never realized that it was through a chance meeting with a young woman your same age at 27 years old who passed away from glioblastoma that kind of precipitated this this journey uh, that seems to be the tipping point for you. Did you start Oncosynergy with your co-founder shortly after that? How long has Oncosynergy actually been a founding company? We have we can't call ourselves a startup anymore, Shannon, because it's been it's been since 2011. So it's been, you would think that we would, you know, we're we're the good news is we're not we're revving up, um, but we've been around since 2011, and you know that journey um, really started when I did meet my co-founder around that time. Um, 
And my co-founder's name you'll recognize, Sean Carbonell, um, <laughs> um, not my ex-husband. Um, but it's been um, an amazing journey for, for us both where we started together as a team and we've sort of passed a baton between the two of us. So mm-hmm. um, I look sort of at Sean as, this is my perspective, you know, our founding scientist and myself as our founding clinician. And between the two of us, we were able to bring something from the bench um, Mm -hmm. where um, Sean really thrives to the bedside where I think I add more value and in the in-between. So it's been a long journey, but yeah, since 2011. And it was right after about that experience when I met that woman, I actually became a patient myself shortly after that. And so that's really where the transition um, came in. I was diagnosed with a very severe autoimmune disease I had a permanent pacemaker placed. I'm on my fourth now. Um, And it was just not an option for me anymore to operate. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could say the transition from that place to where I'm now was easy. But you can imagine, like I told you, I was 17 when I made this commitment to these patients. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated because I really thought that my career was over um, for for pretty good reasons because they literally told me scalpel out of my hands, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah. Good reasons. But, you know, meeting my co-founder, Sean, was what really opened my eyes up to the fact that I had this amazing, unique opportunity to still help those patients. And that's through this company. That's really profound. And I remember you telling me bits and pieces of this story in previous discussions, but for some reason, have you ever seen the movie? It's, it's one of the Marvel movies, Doctor Strange. I haven't, but now okay. I'm gonna. <laughs> so you do need to watch that movie because I am having some serious Doctor Strange deja vu type of moments because he was a surgeon and ended up in a very horrific car accident in the movie and could no longer use his hands. And he was one of the top surgeons in the country and the world, renowned. And so he struggled with the transition and trying to figure out what now? What do I do now? And then ended up becoming Dr. Strange. I just think that it's just so amazing that there was this huge pivot for you, a pivot that was not easy. And I think that's extremely relatable to so many of our listeners because life throws us some massive curveballs and no one's immune to that, um, no matter what their challenge is. But yet you found a way to keep the fight going and to stay connected and passionate within the, the neurology and the brain cancer community, and you stuck to that promise, it just looks different than it did before. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I thought this was going to be easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> For like a whole five minutes. I love how naive I was in the very beginning. Um, but it, it, but no, this has been, um, I have to say, a much bigger challenge than being a neurosurgeon, and um, which is so me because there's just something about me that I'm like a fly to like I don't know like hard choices. <laughs> that's just like where I go and where I where I end up, and and um, and so I think um, it's meant to be. That leads me to my next question because this is challenging. This is extremely challenging work. And what do you see as some of the the barriers moving clinical trials and better treatments forward when it comes to dealing with glioblastoma? Because you've kind of touched on it a little bit. I mean, there are some really major barriers. And yet here you guys are in a phase one clinical trial. So what do you see as some of these barriers, these complications that keep us from really pushing that needle forward? Sure. I think... The first big bucket of barriers are what I have referred to before, and those are those disease-specific challenges. So the fact that glioblastoma, yes, it's cancer, but we have to look at it as unique. And those real challenges are one. We know it's a really smart cancer, and what I mean by that is Um, It becomes resistant to our current therapies very quickly. Mm -hmm. The second, we have the problem of the blood-brain barrier. So our blood vessels in our brain have 
to simplify it, you know, three layers while the blood vessels everywhere else in our body have one. Um, And that's neuroprotective in some way, um, but we know it's very um, exclusionary when it comes to therapeutics getting to the brain. And then the third part is, is that uh, glioblastoma is really invasive. Mm-hmm. So you've got a resistant disease that's really invasive, that's hard to get to. Um, so that's a challenge, right, in itself. That's my like scientific medical challenge. Mm-hmm. And then we have all of these other things that I call business challenges that are a new part of my life, right? <laughs> um, and, and, but they're real challenges that have to be addressed. And one of them is past failures in glioblastoma. So Mm -hmm. there have been, when Big Pharma was in the business of developing therapeutics for this disease, they didn't do so well at it. And unfortunately, you know, they learned that this is a higher, you know, they, they got a specific risk profile about it and that scares them. So there's a certain amount of dogma around Ooh, glioblastoma, Anne-Marie, when I go to investors, are you sure this works mm-hmm. for this kind of cancer and that kind of cancer? Why not this? Why not that? And that, so that hurts, right? It does. It, it, it makes it hard. And the third thing is just that it is so darn expensive to develop drugs and to perform clinical research. Right. So you've got a really expensive problem. And so it's tough. But I do think that the disease-specific challenges can be overcome. As soon as we have one win in the column for glioblastoma, you'll be surprised how quickly the tides and the trends may turn. <laughs> so may doors may open. Right. So that's, those are some reasons why we, we just we, we can't give up. And, and you know, you look at now um, pharmaceuticals in general and about 70% of new R&D um, is outsourced. So what I mean is like the big pharma companies are really relying on small companies like Oncosynergy to bring them new new innovation. So companies like ours do, um, you know, we are really motivated and we fit perfectly in, in this challenge. But it's it's I won't lie, Shannon, it's a it's an uphill battle because I'm trying to battle a disease that is really tough, and I'm trying to fundraise and for it at the same time. Yeah. It's a challenge that so many face, but honestly, without companies like yours and doing the creative and innovative research and clinical trials that it's going to take for us to get over some of these barriers, we wouldn't be going anywhere. And I think the one, the nice, the positive that we have in a lot of this, and it's I just spoke to a previous guest about this who works in pediatric brain cancer primarily, is the the idea that with the pandemic for all of its horribleness and the horrific nature of how it came to be and what we've all had to go through the last few years, the one kind of shining light that came out of it, the one bright spot, was showing everybody that when big pharma and insurance companies really have to get something done, they get something done. Yeah. And that really is at like the heart of what we do because our name is Oncosynergy for a reason. And, you know, when we talk about our therapeutic, you know, we've been using it as a single therapy in our, in our clinical trial, we're using it as a single therapy. So what I mean by that, we're only testing our drug, our drug candidate, um, but one of our goals really is, is to be a tool in the toolbox of every oncologist because we, through our preclinical research, we've learned that our therapeutic has the potential to make other classes of therapeutic work better. Hmm. And that's what's been really cool about the whole process. And I think, you know, you talk about collaborations mm-hmm. is that we continue to generate new preclinical data and new exciting data with academic institutions all over the country and the world. And I don't have to like, I'm not going out there campaigning for it. I I don't have time. We're a very small company. Um, Physicians write me and say, you know, I think that there could be an application in this or that. Mm -hmm. And that's been quite a pleasure. Um, And to see more places where our therapeutic could help patients 
is something that's really exciting that's come and come out of collaborations. So as we're talking about this, you guys do have a phase one clinical trial currently going on um, as we're talking mm-hmm. about these this, the, the therapeutic. I did mention it briefly in the introduction. It's a monoclonal antibody. So let's let's dive into this a little bit. What exactly does that mean and what is it what are the hopes for it to do? How, how does it behave? So our therapeutic is indeed a monoclonal antibody and it targets a cell surface receptor called CD29. So in targeting that particular receptor, how does that help with fighting glioblastoma? Well, it's very powerful because um, we're, we're actually able to turn off multiple processes that drive cancer growth and progression. So we're directly able to turn off those processes that drive cell growth and proliferation, oh. not only just cell growth and proliferation, but also um, new tumor blood vessel formation as well, or angiogenesis. And that's key when it comes to glioblastoma. Right. Um, we know that these are highly vascular tumors. Um, mm-hmm. It's a part of when a, when a uh, pathologist looks under a microscope, they look for the characteristic um, vascular formation. So this is very important. And we do know that there's already a class of approved therapeutics that just target this one cancer hallmark. And that's why I'm so bullish about this approach. Um, because it's not just blocking the new blood vessel formation. Um, we also have shown that we can modulate also the immune system and its ability to allow immune cells to come in and be able to attack okay. attack cancer. We know that by blocking CD29, we can stop cancer from being so invasive Cancer cells really need CD29. They change shape. They use it to actually change shape and to invade through tissues. And then there's just more and more research coming out, which actually even has shown that CD29 is directly involved in even the recruitment of drug efflux pumps that will pump chemotherapeutics out of cancer cells. So you can see how fundamental CD29 is. Wow. So this seems to be like a a major beacon for cancer cells. It almost sounds like this this one receptor seems to be a spider web of different avenues and ways for cancer to be able to proliferate and continue growing. And by stopping this one avenue, it almost seems like it's cutting off all of the legs or almost all of the legs for cancer to find another way around. That's kind of the picture I have in my head. Yeah, you said it a lot better than I did. So um, I'm inviting (laughs) you to the rest of the investor meeting. Um, Yeah, so that is exactly the concept. That's exactly the concept. Um, And not only why we think that it's extremely powerful for glioblastoma, but in oncology in general. Wow. So this clinical trial you have right now, this is focused on turning that receptor off. You guys are currently in a phase one clinical trial, and you're recruiting. So how many more people do you need to recruit? Are you seeing any findings right now from the information you're already starting to gather in this clinical trial? Currently, um, we're open for recruitment at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. We are hoping to recruit about 10 additional patients to this study, and we will be opening up at least one additional site. Right now, we're preparing to open up um, Ohio State University um, to facilitate that recruitment, which is extremely exciting. And so, you know, right now in our phase one trial, we're actually delivering our therapeutic directly to the brain. So I mentioned to you earlier that one of the really key obstacles was the blood-brain barrier. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was just something that I really, really wanted to take out of the equation. So we're using a technique where we deliver our therapeutic directly to the brain tumor via a specialized catheter. Okay. It's called convection-enhanced delivery, but really it's a fancy way of saying we're inf- using a pressure gradient to infuse it directly into the tumor. Okay. Um, and so what's really awesome is 
we're able to say one, okay, um, we don't have, we're not giving this by IV, right? And kind of crossing our fingers and hoping that the, enough therapeutic gets across the blood-brain barrier, we know it is. And the reason we know it is, is because actually in the research pharmacy, before we deliver it to a patient, we add a little bit of contrast agent or dye, the same kind you would get for an MRI. And so during the procedures, we're actually able to visualize uh, that the therapeutic is getting exactly to the site of disease. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, which is really exciting um, and important. Um, we're also during our during during the administration able to get pre and post treatment samples. Um, and I mentioned this because that's really a big part of what we're going to learn from this study also. We talked a lot about that spider web of all of the different pathways and processes of cancer that we're able to address. And so those are some of the things that now we're looking at in real patient samples, Mm -hmm. right? So you're able to do before they get this treatment in the clinical trial and then after and kind of seeing, okay, how is this behaving? How is the glioblastoma behaving how is it behaving before and how is it behaving now that we've introduced this this method, this treatment directly into the brain? Right, exactly. So in the patients that you've already treated or in some of the research that you're gaining from phase one to this point, what are you guys seeing? We've taken a look at the early treatment tissue. What we're seeing is that one, we are engaging with our target. Um, And I think that's really important to know that the therapy is getting to the actual receptor. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds simple and basic, um, but those are really important things to understand um, dosing and delivery. Mm -hmm. And we're we're also starting to understand that indeed we are modulating those cancer promoting pathways. Um, And we have a ton of data to mine through, Mm -hmm. but our goal is to be able to summarize all that in a very rigorous scientific manner and present that as feedback um, to the FDA and start working very quickly on what are the next steps. And those next steps would include, and, and I want listeners to understand that, you know, when we talk about 10 more patients for phase one, unfortunately, this is part of clinical trial hurdles. This is what needs to be done. But in presenting your findings, you can hopefully, I'm assuming the hope is to get this into a phase two, or does it go to phase 1B? And then that opens it up to more patients to be able to introduce, do a bigger sample size. Is I mean, is that the goal? Exactly. That's okay. the goal. And I, you can call it, you know, from my, from my perspective, you can call it phase 1B, you could call it phase 2. I think um, whatever you want to call it, it's just the important thing is, is that we're able to show the FDA, okay, this is this is the evidence that we have that it's safe. I didn't mention mm-hmm. that, but we've had, you know, so far, um, excellent safety profile. And that it's, um, we think that we see its mechanism of action shining through. And so we don't want to spend a long time at safety doses, uh, et cetera. How do we, you know, ramp up the development, obviously in a safe way, but in, and with, with, you know, let's transition our thought process from safety to efficacy, right? And and that's really the transition point that we're really excited to to start making now. So now, Outside of this particular clinical trial, is this the the one clinical trial you guys are really focusing on or are there some other clinical trials coming up or kind of down the pipeline a little bit? What else is going on with Oncosynergy? And I guess to kind of hop on the back end of that, what are your hopes for the future of Oncosynergy? What do you see happening in the next few years? So... The great thing is, is that why I like I love our trial design um, is that when we what we're learning about glioblastoma uh, is also applicable to other cancers, right? So what's really powerful about the, all of these biomarkers we're learning about and learning about the mechanism of action is we're seeing opportunity to expand and grow. And so what I, got, I said earlier, my ultimate picture. Uh, and goal, let's say, for Oncosynergy in five years is to really be positioned 
to put our therapeutic in the hands of many oncologists um, (laughs) and more than just glioblastoma, right? Mm -hmm. So we do have plans for other trials. You know, our our company has orphan drug designation with FDA for glioblastoma, for ovarian cancer, and for acute myeloid leukemia. And those are just a couple of the indications where we've shown um, tremendous potential. And we like those indications because those are areas of unmet need. And that's... Those are some of the hardest cancers to treat right now. Exactly. Yeah. So we do have development plans to move um, that along. Um, the other indications along and actually very quickly. So, And that's kind of the key word, isn't it? Quickly. Because uh, most of these patients just, they don't have that kind of time to wait. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a big growth period for us, Shannon. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, I've been waiting for so long to get <laughs> this point where I have clinical data. I remember saying, oh, Anne-Marie, just think about what it's going to feel like. Um, and I know what it feels like. It feels amazing, but it also gives me this huge sense of urgency to go out there and make sure I have the capital to see it through. Right. So see it through first. You know, we have our commitment to our glioblastoma program, and that's what we fund first because we have our active trial. Um, and then see if we can replicate this uh, in other oncology indications as well. I think it's absolutely amazing that there has been this surge, um, especially in Oncosynergy, and there does seem to be this push, which is amazing. As you guys continue to move forward and move into later phases and, and bring other treatments online for clinical trials and opening this up, do you see more collaboration among other experts with you, like foundations, other cancer centers, going forward, do you see this happening where instead of everybody vying for the top spot, everybody's starting to kind of work together because like we both said earlier, these are the absolute worst of the worst, hardest cancers to treat. And if you guys aren't doing it, then nobody else is. So do you see that potential that that happening, opening more doors and just kind of bringing more people in and saying, hey, we can make this happen. You know, I mean, is, is that part of the goal? Of course. Um, I won't lie. I think no matter how noble the mission is, it is hard to get any group of people <laughs> to work together <laughs> yes, as a common is. mission without, this is the key, without considering their own self-interest, right? <laughs> like, yes. That does um, seem to be a theme just in general in our country these days. So <laughs> we're never going to get around that. Yeah. I think the key is is that there's a ton of win-win scenarios for Oncosynergy and the collaborators we need. And those collaborators are the physicians who are going to be at the front line administering it to the patients. Those collaborators mm-hmm. are going to be the pharmaceutical companies that we hope will step up and allow us to scale this a lot quicker. And the the foundations who have already helped us a lot. And I will say mm-hmm. we have received small grants from small foundations like the Masella Foundation. Yeah. And I have to say some of those things, th- those little things are what keep us going. You know, those little things where, okay, no, it, it, it does, you know, 25 grand like make a, a dent in it, but no, but it does... It gives us hope. It gives us a sense of community. Um, it makes me feel like there are a ton of other people behind me and wishing us success. And it does make a difference. It cracks the door. And that's, you know, part of why I do the podcast is to create that bridge that allows companies like yours to get the message out about what you're doing to bring in other collaborators and bring in other supporters. And I mean, that's the whole purpose is to to be a bridge. And, and you know, for Synergy, you're the bridge for physicians and for other collaborators and maybe other research facilities who are looking at, you know, okay, maybe this works better than what we were doing before. So I think it's powerful. I think it's extremely powerful and really relevant. Even, even when you're getting donors and you're getting small grants, $25,000 may not go a very long distance, but it definitely helps. I mean, every little bit helps. Oh, yeah, it does. And I think you have to, like, in a field like that we work in, if you don't let yourself celebrate those wins and Mm -hmm. have a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment, it's tough. I've definitely learned that (laughs) because I've been doing this. I've been working on the same project, you know, for quite a long time. 
Um, and, and a lot of people have told me, you know, Anne-Marie, you know, wouldn't this be easier if you picked another cancer type or wouldn't it be easier if you pivoted and repivoted this way and that way and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I will thank you, um, for, for shedding light on this because it's really inspiring and it, it motivates me and my team. And I know there's a lot of other people out there, um, doing the same thing. You know, you, you've said something, you've kind of hit the nail on the head and it's something I really want to draw attention to that you've been doing this for a very long time and you're work, you're kind of pounding the pavement in this particular area and using this to figure out better method, better treatment for glioblastoma. And people are telling you, go a different direction, try a different thing, focus on a different cancer. Well, guess what? Patients don't have that option. And yeah. they're in this for the long haul. The physicians treating them don't have that option. They need to treat the patients and stick with it with whatever tools and resources they have in their toolkit. So it's interesting. It seems to parallel. Your thinking really parallels the journey of those that are walking the path of glioblastoma, the caregivers, the physicians, everybody on the front lines. They don't have a choice either. So I think it's amazing that that's your mindset because that's really what we need. We can't give up and it's going to be hard and it's an uphill battle and it, the climb can be arduous, but we can't give up. And there's this phrase by Nikola Tesla, and it was a, ment- a writing mentor of mine that had told me this a long time ago, and I'm totally going to botch the phrase, but it, <laughs> it was all about not giving up even when things get really tough because the moment you let go and give up and you think that you've failed and you walk away – was right at the precise moment where you were just about ready to succeed. And so this idea of not looking at failure as something, you know, you have to just push through and keep going because you don't know where success lands. You don't know when that's coming around the corner. You don't know when you're going to get to the top of the hill. And you could just be inches away. And then if you turn around and walk away, you, you have no idea what you just left behind. So I think it's powerful. I think it's so powerful that you have the thinking that you do and that you guys are really grinding that stone and walking this path. You're kind of walking the same journey as as brain cancer patients. Um, You're just on the other end of it. (laughs) Wow. Um, Thank you. I um, really appreciate that. And no, I think, look, I I, I actually have, I feel in a weird way, like the perfect person to keep working on this project to the point where even one of my neighbors, I just moved and into a new neighborhood. My neighbor literally across the street is a neuro-oncologist. The other neighbor down the, down the street, we met on a walk, was just diagnosed with glioblastoma. And I'm just like, you know, and so I have this, I don't know, I just, um, some people may call it me not being smart, continuing down the same path, no matter how all these other people, you know, have said this and that, but, um, this is, this is who I am. And this is just a part of me. And I've, it's been very, very, very tough, but I do see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm very, very thankful that, uh, and all those times when I thought I wanted to give up, I didn't. So don't get me emotional. It's been really tough, Shannon. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Like you have to really understand. I've had over the last year, uh, several come to Jesus moments where I've thought like, can I do this? Like, like I, I, can I do this? And the, the answer is, is yes. One day at a time I can. Yeah. And you know what, in the story you just shared about moving into a new neighborhood, I think those are signs. I think that's somebody's way of telling you that, yes, you are on the right path and this is exactly what you need to be doing. And and you can't give up. None of us can give up. It, it's very hard. Um, but if life has taught any of us anything, I mean, even with an autoimmune disease, that's lifelong. That's something that you have to fight through and kind of work your way through and just keep going. And so nobody else is better equipped for that than you. So why would this be any different? And I really think that the work that you guys are doing is so profound. You're looking at these nuances and these ways that can shape and change the way that these very severe and the worst of the worst cancers 
are treated. And that is what we need right now. We need these people on the front lines who are not willing to walk away and give up just because it gets hard. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And it's okay if you get emotional. I have I have a skill, a gift for <laughs> making people get emotional on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's the work that you do is amazing. And I am so grateful to have had you on today. I think everything that you've shared is so valuable for our listeners and for the medical experts that listen to this show. People need to realize that on the back end of all of this, there are people down in the trenches that are trying to figure this out. And that is hopeful. And we need to stay focused on that. So I really appreciate everything that you've shared today. And because you guys are still recruiting, where should people go if they want to learn more about the current clinical trial at Moffitt? Really, right now, still what we found um, is the best place is actually on Moffitt's website. And they have a clinical trial navigator, and it's actually really effective. Okay. So I think if we could post that on, on the site, that would be great. Mm-hmm. The other place is, is our website. Okay. Um, and we do have information how they can get connected to Moffitt on there as well. And that's oncosynergy.com. That's correct. Okay. And then you also have an Instagram page, correct? We do. We do. We post every week. Uh, we try to um, maintain a presence and we would love to have more followers. And that is, the handle is at Oncosynergy, is that correct? Correct. Okay. So Dr. Carbonell, I want to thank you so, so much for all of the insight and all of the information that you have shared with us today. It is invaluable and it is just gives us continued hope with the amount of effort that is going on on the back end, especially when it comes to glioblastoma and other brain cancers. I know that you guys are always in fundraising mode and that you guys get grants and are always looking for investors. So again, you know, anybody who's listening, if you're interested in learning more about Oncosynergy and the amazing work that they're doing, please visit their website for more information. We'll have all of this information up on our page. I do want to say congratulations because I know that you have become a new mom not too long ago. So I know that that is giving you a lot of boosted energy to make good things happen in the world today. But I'm sure that it's very tiring sometimes too. Oh, yeah. No, it's been honestly, um, I... uh, it's been a calming, balancing force in my life. I feel um, very lucky. And he is officially the cutest boy in the entire world. <laughs> I've trademarked that and licensed it for him and patent protected it. So, Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I think that is the best note to end on. I'm sure he won't blush when he gets older because this will live in eternity. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. And for all of our listeners, please stay tuned. We will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Mimivax LLC, developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at Mimivax.com. There's a poem that keeps coming to me. It's nagging at the back of my brain that relates to our conversation today. This idea, this thought, of needing to find a new path, looking at two directions, two roads before us, and needing to figure out which one to travel. We're all given a choice. And as hard as it may be sometimes to travel on a specific road, to pick the path that might be harder, doing so can be so rewarding and scary and hard, but we have to choose that lesser known path because look at everything we gain by doing so. Dr. Carbonell wouldn't be where she is today if she gave up, if she walked away, if she chose a different road that was just a bit easier. She wouldn't be doing what she's doing. Anko Synergy wouldn't be making the difference that they're making. We can say that for so many in the field, 
right? We can say that for ourselves. I chose the road that I chose, not because it was easy, but because it was hard. Because I knew I needed to find a way to make a difference and help others. And that is not an easy task. And so the poem I speak of that I will leave you with today is the very well-known poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. He wrote this poem back in 1916 of a loved and well-known poet. His words resonate to this day. It doesn't matter what era we live in or where we come from, we can all relate to needing to figure out our choices in life, our paths in life, the direction we want to go in. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trotted black, oh I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game on Glio podcast. We have another very special episode coming up later this month, where we talk about grief and loss with the founder of the Fierce Foundation. Until then, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast, the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. If you like our show, please share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast or on Facebook at Game on Glio. You can visit our website and our YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.